All right, turn please in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John. Hey, while you, while you find that, I want to remind you this is your last Sunday to be able to nominate elders. Uh, if there's somebody that you have spotted here at this church uh, who meets the requirements of elders and is elding, uh, that might be a good opportunity for you to nominate that person. So there's some blue cards up here if you'd like to do that. That'd probably be great. And uh, we are in our study in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, picking it up in verse 19. And this is God's word. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Well, let's tag it on. I and the Father are one. I was really saving that till next week, but I and the Father are one. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, a lot of you know Parker Kerstell. He's on staff at our church here. He's an intern. He's a full-time intern in, uh, in uh, senior high, and also 25% of his job is our singles ministry. And um, I-, I watched him grow up. I've known him since he was a junior high kid, and uh, it's just been a joy to partner with him. Well, you know, he's a twin. Uh, Parker and Jeremy are identical twins, and uh, they grew up here at this church and uh, have befuddled people. Uh, for years and years and years. In fact, when the iPhone 10 came out, uh, they made a, a, a video very early on that each of their face would unlock each other's phones. Uh, so similar do they look. And uh, there have been times, I remember one time I was walking down the hall with one of them and he peeled off and the other guy walked up and I gave him a ride somewhere and I never knew that they changed out, you know, <laughs> till the end of the conversation. I, I, there was just confusion and they just look very similar. And what trips me up is when they, one of them gets a haircut, you can never tell them apart. Anyway, all to say, um, now that Jeremy has moved away uh, and has moved away for a number of years and I've really gotten to know Parker, well, now I can spot Parker like that. You know, like I say, unless he's just gotten a haircut, I really know who Parker is. Uh, in fact, I played a joke on him. Jeremy just got engaged, and Tammy sent me a text going, Jeremy got engaged, and I immediately sent Parker a text in all caps that said, congrats, bro, um, as a joke. Um, but uh, only because he now knows that uh, I know Parker so well that I can spot him just like that. Um, all to say, the point is knowing someone. I can tell these identical twins apart because I know them. Um, If I happen into a Walgreens and I don't know my wife is in the Walgreens and she's two aisles over and she sneezes, well, I know that's her. I know exactly what the sneeze of my spouse sounds like, don't you? 
I would know in a store who that was. You would know if it was your child who was sneezing. Um, And so I start that way to say this. If the meaning of the passage is the message of the sermon, which I believe that it is and should be, that's the essence of sound uh, preaching, then what are we supposed to learn today? I think we're supposed to learn about this Jesus and his claims this. If you follow him, you are known by him. If you are known by him, you are safe in him. Um, That is to say, if you follow him, it's because you are known by him. And because, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Other translations say this, that uh, you'll be brought to um, uh, 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 completion, perfection, um, performance. Uh, New new, uh, uh, Living Translation says this. I love this. This is great. I am certain, Paul writing, that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. That is an excellent... um, commentary, uh, summary of, of the meaning of that, that verse. Again, if you follow Jesus, you are known by Jesus. If you are known by him, you are safe in him. Um, and, you know, because, uh, let me just flip back real quick. Um, you don't have to get there, but chapter 6, uh, verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. (laughs) That's what it means, raise it up on the last day, is when Christ returns on the great day of the Lord, we will be safe in Jesus Christ. Um, That's what Jesus says um, about his sheep. All right, so let's go to our first point, which is uh, the necessary division of Jesus, the, 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 the division that Jesus causes. Um, we left off last time at verse 18, which served the teaching of that passage very well. That's why I stopped there. And um, I want you to know before we look at verse 19 and, and 20 and 21, that um, between 21 and 22, a gap of time has passed. All right, it was around October. Now it's around December. Now it's winter. So a gap of time has passed. And um, so I tucked last week's verses into last week, even though there's a hunk of time that's passed, um, and, and it, it just served us well uh, last time. But what you do need to remember is this, that John, the gospel writer, is um, only including the theological stuff that the Holy Spirit deems important for us to know. Uh, what I'm saying is, even though there's a gap of time between these verses, as, as the gospel writer's writing it, there is a continuity He wants things to be in this order. And you'll notice that the conversation last time uh, a a lot with foremost was Jesus talking about his sheep and his sheep knowing his voice. And Jesus is the good shepherd, making a distinction between the religious leadership of the day, which were bad shepherds. He was a good shepherd and he was healing and helping and the bad were condemning and piling law upon the people and oppressing them. Jesus is the great redeemer. Um, All to say, we move into this passage and the sheep discussion continues. So even though time has passed, um, the sheep dialogue is still happening. John, the gospel writer, knows this. And the other thing we take away from that is this. Apparently, Jesus was talking about that a lot. (laughs) So it's not just one isolated teaching about sheep and a shepherd. That apparently was a theme of Jesus, and he picks it up a couple of months uh, later here. 
Now, so let's pick up our scene in verse 19. It said that there was a division among the Jews because of these words. And whenever you read something like that cold out of the blue, you got to go, what words? Or else we can't understand what this is talking about. There was a division among the Jews, that would be the religious leadership and their following, because of these words. Uh, What words? Uh, In short, it was the claim that Jesus had the authority to lay down his life, in other words, die, and to take his life, life up again. In other words, live again. He, he says, I have the authority to do that. Um, but no one's doing it for me. I do it of my own accord. I can lay my life down and die. I can l- take my life up again and live. Um, who talks like that? Who could possibly talk like that? Only God. Only deity. And so these are big, these are big things. He's making... He's making uh, deific statements, and the religious leadership goes, oh, there's a division here now. Uh, Jesus has, has started it. Um, uh, and, and so, uh, they're immediately divided into two camps. In verse 20, it says, many of them said, he has a demon as it, and is insane. Why listen to him? Now, they're not, they're not making two accusations. They're not saying, oh, he has a demon and he's nuts. They're basically saying, there's absolutely nothing trustworthy about what he's saying. He's a demon. He's nuts. I mean, you can't even listen to that guy. I mean, come on. You can't even. He's uh, crazy. Uh, They're totally dismissing him. And the other group is like, uh, not so fast. Verse 21. They say, wait a minute. These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. And they ask the the telling question. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Do you remember he healed a guy who was born blind? Well, look at verse 9, chapter 9, verses 8 through um, 11, if you would. Just kind of flip, flip there for a second. Um, yeah, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> so they said to them, him, uh, how then were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go uh, to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Oh, wow. I mean, that's pretty potent. Um, He was a known guy. He was born blind. He was known by the village. Um, And uh, the the religious authorities eventually question his parents. And his parents go, yeah, he's our son, all right. He was born blind, all right. Now he can see. That's pretty powerful testimony. Um, it's a pretty powerful testimony to de- Jesus' deity, which is Jesus' point. When Jesus says, I already told you to the Pharisees, he's not saying, I already gave you a very explicit statement. I, I already, he's not saying, I already said, I am the Messiah, the promised one, you know, the one that all the prophets talked about and the one that Isaiah wrote about and the one that King David foreshadowed, um, all these types that everything is, leads up to me and is fulfilled. He doesn't say any of that, but he does heal a guy who was born blind. And he's saying to them, that's how I told you. You want to know, I'm making these claims about deity. Well, I perform uh, things that are supernatural, that, that show my authority over the created order. And that should be enough in matters of faith. All right, application for your life straight away on this point. Um, you know, in verse 25 of chapter 9, the man answers the people who are questioning him. And he goes, um, I, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. If he's crazy, I don't know. Whatever, I don't know. But one thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, 
and you would not listen. Do you want to hear it again? I mean, that's basically what Jesus is saying too. You've, you've seen it. I mean, my goodness, he opened my eyes. I was born blind. Now I see. And you're asking me again? I told you. Look, I can see. Now, friends, uh, you don't have to turn there, but this is a commonly turned to passage. I've been here a zillion million times for a bunch of different reasons. But um, this is in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, and it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Hmm. All right, so in, in unrighteousness, people who are, who are unrighteous, not God followers, not God fearers, they're suppressors of truth. Interesting. I wonder what truth they're suppressing. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that everyone is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That is the problem of sin. Uh, that is the problem of the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leadership. Uh, they are darkened. They suppress the truth. Let me tell you, folks, um, I don't care who you are. You know. You know you were made. You know there's a standard of good and wrong. You know that when somebody cuts you off on the road and you wish you could have justice, when, you, when there's a shooting and you wish that there would be justice, why do you ache for justice? Why is there a standard of right and wrong? Why is it wrong to walk into a synagogue and shoot somebody? Why? If there's no standard of right and wrong, ultimately somewhere, then, then why can't you just do whatever you want? Everybody knows by what has been made, by the order of things, by the, by the cosmos, by the earth, by the smell of a baby's hair. Everybody knows that we have been made. Everybody knows that there is architecture everywhere you look. Everybody knows the learned should know better than anybody that the whole world is math. Everything's math. But, but to deny that there's a God is a suppression of that truth. Now, here's, you know, as I was flipping through, I, I, you know, Chris, Luke, and I, we, we laugh about it. We both have really nice Bibles. In fact, you have the same Bible. And that's, an, that's the best Bible in the world, isn't it? It's the best Bible in the world. Uh, it's... Highland goatskin, straight off the beast. I mean, it's really, really, it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a Bible from Scotland. And uh, Chris Luke has another really, really good Bible, and he won't mark a single mark in his. Mine is just buttered up like crazy, and the pages are torn, and it's all messed up. But So I can flip through here, and as I was studying this, I stumbled onto chapter um, 8, and I just looked at three things that I underlined. And it's Jesus talking about uh, it's the sin problem. He says, I'm going away, you'll seek me. And he says, you will die in your sin. A few verses later, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He says it three times right in this short little space. You will die in your sin. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. That's the problem of sin, this separation from God. That's the problem from, of sin is not having a covering before God. 
Um, why doesn't Jesus then just clunk them on the heads with it and say, hey, uh, without a Savior, you're going to die in your sins, and I'm the Savior. Why doesn't he say that? Here's why. Because salvation is not a little math equation. It is a matter of faith. It is an issue of the heart. It's an engagement of the whole heart in faith. Even if Jesus sidled it up alongside them like he did to those two guys on the road to Emmaus, and he told them, this religious leadership, all about the Old Testament, <coughs> all about how it is fulfilled in Jesus, all about how the sacrificial system is fulfilled and met in Jesus, and, and uh, how uh, Jesus uh, fulfilled the law and provides all righteousness. Even if Jesus told them everything about the Old Testament, how it all pointed to him, it still would not be enough. Even if Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, they would still have said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus doesn't come straight out and say it. He demonstrates things, and and the Bible does that too, so that we must exercise faith. The Bible allows for mystery, and anytime divinity meets humanity, meets mortality, there's mystery. You have to allow for it, but but that that is um, so that there will be an issue of faith. Uh, If... If it were a matter of holding up the brochure, the Christian brochure, going, bap, 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 and you go, gee, honey, that makes a lot of sense. I think that, I like that bottom line. What do you think? Let's go for it. That's not faith. That's figuring it out. And uh, what Jesus is doing with these guys is saying, hey, you've got, you've had enough information. I mean, from the foundation of the earth, you had enough information. And here, the supernatural one is, is making statements of uh, divinity and then doing uh, divinity-fueled uh, things. Now just believe. All right. Our second point, and it's got a bunch of little sub-points, three, three little sub-points. Um, the sheep, no Jesus, um, we'll explore verse 27 um, in just a minute. But uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. But first, let's look at the setting. In verse 22, it says, at that time... The feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus is walking outside, uh, walking in, in the temple uh, of Solomon. So look, it, it, it also adds that it's winter. So as I told you, some time had passed. It was October. Now it's about winter. Um, and uh, October has suddenly passed by in the narrative. Um, but notice again, for John's purpose, the whole thing is glued together. We're still talking about sheep and shepherds and so on. Now, this Feast of Dedication in verse 22, the Feast of Dedication, that was not a part of the Mosaic Law. That was a pretty recent addition. In fact, it came from the intertestamental period uh, when the prophetic voice of God stopped at the end of the Old Testament in between when, uh, the, when the New Testament began. In that 400-year period, in uh, the year 165 B.C., I think, is when this thing happened, all right? The thing that happened is this, Syria... Uh, ends up uh, taking over Jerusalem, and uh, it's, it, they overrun it, and uh, the temple is defiled, and the Israelite people are forced, they're under force to defile uh, God. I mean, it's just a terrible uh, religious persecution. Uh, that goes on for a fairly short period of time, a couple of years, and all of a sudden there's a revolution. And this revolution of Israelite people, uh, they rise up, and uh, they kick out the uh, uh, Syrians, and they take the temple back over, and yay, it's a big celebration. And they celebrated for eight days. 
Um, and uh, there's also this story about lighting a lamp every day and having enough oil and stuff like that. And uh, it's also known as the Feast of Lights. All right, so this Feast of Dedication is also known as the Feast of Lights. And it's still celebrated today. Did you know that? You know what it's called today? Hanukkah. <laughs> All right, so this Feast of Dedication, it takes place uh, at Jerusalem it, it, only about 160 years or so beforehand, 170 years beforehand, it was put in place. And so here it is, it's the rainy season, um, Jesus is walking, this colonnade or colonnade or however you say it is, is, is probably a, a covered area outside and uh, Jesus is walking outside and it's cold out and you know some commentators have done some really kooky stuff with like that and they'll be like, well it was cold out and that speaks to the, the uh, you know, frigidity of the hearts of the people, you know, that's cuckoo. Okay, uh, anytime you do that with the scriptures, that's nuts, okay? So if you hear preachers do that, get out because uh, they're making the scriptures say weird things, okay? Um, but n- notice in verse 24, the Jews, I, I think it was just a, a narrative note. I think it just happened. And uh, the Jews gather around Jesus and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And um, that, that might sound like a literal come to Jesus moment. You know, oh, tell us, we really want to know. They really don't want to know. They want to trip him up. They want him to say the right things so that they can, uh, they can uh, hurt him. In fact, um, at, uh, where is it? Uh, yeah, when, when, Jesus says, when Jesus says at the end of 38, uh, I and the Father are one, um, they seek to arrest him. When uh, he says it in verse 30, I and the Father are one, they pick, pick up stones to stone him. All right, they're waiting for him to say something very clear, not so that their hearts can be settled with this wonderful Messiah figure, uh, but so that they can, uh, they can take care of him because they see him as a problem, all right? Um, but as hearers, like these people, we have to draw our own conclusions, don't we? I mean, we either believe this Jesus or we don't believe this Jesus. And, you know, Matthew, Matthew Henry, who was this 1800s um, uh, preacher and and, and uh, Bible commentator, a fairly famous guy, he has this, this great quote. I just love it. He says, skepticism in religion is no better than downright infidelity. What he means by that is this. You can't just partially believe in Jesus. You can't just like some of the stuff Jesus says and then you don't like some of the stuff Jesus says. Um, guess what? Jesus believed and regularly cited the Old Testament as full of divine authority. You better not throw out the Old Testament. If you do, you throw out the Savior. Um, you, there are all kinds of things can be said about that. You know, R.C. Sproul said, if you, throw out, if you get rid of wine, you throw out the Savior. Because Jesus turned water into wine. Don't throw the Savior out because you've got a, a little a barb over the, the passage. What I'm saying to you is you can't partially believe Jesus. It's important to note, too, that the people don't reject Jesus for lack of evidence. Um, there's a lame guy who started walking. There's a, uh, a bunch of people who were miraculously fed. There's a blind guy who was born blind who suddenly sees. And by the way, Lazarus is coming up. He is certifiably dead, and Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. I mean, certifiably dead. Um, you ever been to the garbage can, and uh, you open the lid of the garbage can, and you forgot that you put some chicken in there a couple days ago in the hot Memphis sun, and you go, oh, whoa, Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus already stank, stunk, stinketh. He stunk. 
I mean, they're like verifiable. I mean, the hot Mediterranean sun. I mean, he's passed and he's raised from the dead. I mean, Jesus is doing all these things, you know, and just like any person can look at the cosmos or the human body uh, or math or music or anything and see the fingerprints of God all over it as architect. All right, application. In verse 26, Jesus says, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. What's interesting about that is that if I were going to write that or if you were going to write that, we would probably flip it around the other way. We would say it differently. We would say... Um, You're not in the flock because you don't believe. That's not what Jesus does. He gives you a lesson in theology. He says, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Now, friends, that is very clear. And Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lord of the universe, the one by whom all things were made, had every opportunity to say it the way he wanted to say it. This is the way he said it. Um, You do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Now, I don't need to go much farther on that um, except to say this. When you see something conclusive in the scriptures, when you see a concrete lesson, mark it down and think, okay, all my theology has to fall into place under the very clear things. That's, that's the foundation of interpreting the scriptures. Whatever is clear, you interpret all of the scriptures. You know the scriptures have continuity. They're not just a bunch of things all jumbled together. There's continuity. Same author, the Holy Spirit of God. All right? So let all your, your, your uh, theology fall into place. Um, the, the, it's the whole word of God in harmony with itself. Anyway, all to say, the hallmark of someone who has come to spiritual life in Jesus Christ is they recognize the summoning of their soul readily. It doesn't mean that you hear the voice of Jesus in the shower, right? that you're looking for an audible voice, and you're not. But it is to say that uh, your soul is in spiritual communion with the living God. You long for Jesus. You, you don't find him to be skeptical. When Jesus says something in the scriptures, it's, it's, it's okay to puzzle over something and go, wow, I don't really understand that. That's pretty deep. I wonder what that means. I wonder if I should do some digging on that or do some studying or call somebody or meet Jim for coffee. Um, it doesn't mean that. You, you can have question marks and not understand something. But if you come to this book with a hmm, scowl, so Jesus said that, well, you know, I don't like that. I like what he said over here, but I, but I don't like this over here, what Jesus said over here. If you have a scowl, you better watch out, buddy, because your soul's in trouble. Um, you come to this Jesus readily, and you believe all of him. You take all of him. You don't, you, you don't get to, we don't get to, to craft him into the Savior that, that we want him to be in. He is the Savior and the Lord of glory. Okay, second thing about the sheep, they are known by Jesus. Um, he says in verse 27, I know them. And uh, verses uh, oh, uh, 2 and 3, it says that he leads them out and, and uh, he goes before them. And I mentioned this last time that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a Western uh, Australian manner of, of uh, shepherding sheep, which is using border collies and you're kind of driving the sheep and corralling the sheep and kind of shoving the sheep along. And then there's a, there's a uh, you know, Mediterranean style of shepherding, which is leading the sheep. And leading the sheep is different than, than, than uh, corralling the sheep. Leading the sheep is, hey, 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 ticky, ticky, ticky. And they, uh, they follow the, sh- the, the voice. Uh, and there's uh, Bob, the dumb sheep back there. And, and you go, Bob, Bob, Bob. 
Yo, ticky, ticky, ticky. Bob goes, you know, he follows the shepherd. You're leading the sheep. It's a different scenario. Uh, And it's a scenario that Jewish people would recognize. Um, The shepherd knows the sheep and he draws them personally. He draws them by name. And uh, that's an application for you, friends. Um, Jesus knows his own flock by name. He died for his own flock by name. If someone's not in the flock... It's because they didn't believe. They don't believe because they're not part of the flock is how Jesus uh, phrases it. All right, our last point on this, uh, the sheep live by Jesus. Um, we'll look at this more next week and we'll, uh, these verses, um, um, and we gotta, we got to move on. But um, <clears throat> let me give you my many years commentary on this. Um, I, I, I only can rarely do this because I don't want to get old, but I just... I've done, it, I've done it many a time face-to-face with people, not that often in front of people. But look at verse 28, Jesus speaking. I'm going to add a couple things, okay, of commentary. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And here's my commentary, especially you. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Especially you. I mean, I think people have fears um, of of the outside pressing in on our Christian lives. But there are fears on the inside too. There are fears on the pillow. There are dark fears. You know, I, 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 I had some really sweet time with my dad the last time. Tammy and I were up there just a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, he, he floats in and out of lucidity. Uh, sometimes he's himself and sometimes he's all over the place. But um, when it was just he and I, knee to knee, wheelchair to my face, we were leaning, I was leaning in. His, his head's down like this all the time now. So it's kind of underneath, leaning way in. And he said, you know, I've been having thoughts in the middle of the night. I've been having thoughts in the middle of the night about life and death. You know, he's been a Christian for years and years and years, and he knows the truth. But you know, when you're, when you're stepping up to the, the, the line of crossing over, you have thoughts in the middle of the night. And uh, I'm able to say, Dad, no one can snatch you from Jesus' hand, especially you. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand, especially you. Um, let me turn to one more thing here for you. Um, this is in uh, Romans 8, and listen to this. Paul writing, he says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, especially you, that's me talking, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) That's the application for you. I close with this. Um, we went on a mission trip years ago to Ukraine, and uh, they are different than we are. Let me tell you, Eastern Europeans, number one, everybody's frowning. Number two, there was raging BO. I mean, you're riding the hot subway, and everybody's holding on. You're just going, oh, Lord, take me. You know, Jesus, please come now, you know. Eye-burning BO. Um, and then uh, the other thing is they don't wait in line like we do. You know, we wait in line. It's like, hey, I think this guy's trying to cut, and somebody's trying to get in, and they just... They just swarm. 
They're like flies. They just, if there's a giant, they have these giant like Soviet looking escalators that aren't safe at all. There's not like our escalators where we go, eh, eh, eh. It's like six floors. This, you know, if you took a tumble, it's like, you're not going to make it, you know? Anyway, people flock to these things and you're just, you're, so you're with a group. We were following this lady named Helen. And Helen spoke English, and she was our caretaker all week, and she had an umbrella. The whole time she held up her umbrella, we just followed Helen. Well, when you got somewhere, like an escalator like that, you're with your little group of 12 people, and everybody's pushing, and all of a sudden, you see the people you know disappear. I mean, people are pushing, and you're just like a little ant. You're like a, a grain of sand going down the hourglass thing, and you're like, all of a sudden, you look around, and you go, I don't see anybody I know. I mean, not one person that I was just standing with do I see because the crowd has pushed you so hard. When you get to the bottom of the thing and there's trains buzzing by and everything, you're just going, Helen's umbrella. That's all you're thinking about is Helen's umbrella. And it's the only thing that that gets you uh, somewhere safe. And that was before GPS and phones and everything. Um, All to say, friends, what do you think Christ wants from us? Stare at the umbrella. (laughs) Who is Christ? I mean, that, if, if you want an application of how we're supposed to live, and I'm preaching to myself first, um, we're to keep the good shepherd in our focal point. You know, when our hearts are scared um, about our own moral goodness, um, keep the Savior as your focal point. When we're scared about the big scary meeting or about our health or about our loved one, about our finances, about our lives, about our country, Make Christ the focal point. I mean, that is what walking in the Holy Spirit is. That is what walking in an atmosphere of prayer is. It is remembering that our Savior is the good shepherd, and he leads his flock and calls us by name. So follow. Lord, we come to you understanding our complete dependence upon you for all things, um, not just breathing and heartbeats, but, but spiritual discernment at all. That we would have the mind of Christ is so, is so wonderful and perplexing. Help us understand it more, Lord. Um, that said, um, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Give us the grace to cooperate. Um, cause us to yield. Might we be a, a woman and a man who wakes up every day and says, yes, I affirm the Savior again. Yes, I remember my life and my Lord. Yes, I remember that my priorities put Christ first and everything else second. Would you do that, Lord, for your glory and for our good? And we pray it in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.